This is an ABC podcast. Five, four-stage engine start. Three, two, one. And liftoff of Artemis One. When launching the Artemis space program, it's vital for NASA to know what could be in its way. Today we hear how a regional town in WA will be feeding them that information and how the Lions Club in central Victoria plans to help its elderly live out their days in their hometown. So I'm in the early 80s, my wife's nearly 80. We've lived here for nearly 50 years and we'd like to stay here as long as we possibly can. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country. Last night, when Australia Wide went to air, a crisis meeting was taking place in Alice Springs in the Northern Territory, and it was a packed house. Okay, well, just being informed that there's still several hundred people outside that they're not allowing in because we've reached capacity. (laughs) The meeting's convener, Garth Thompson said there was a plan afoot to sue the Territory Government to the tune of $1.5 billion for neglect. And here's what he had to say. But what I'd like to see happen tonight is that out of this crowd, there are so many talented people that have the knowledge, the background, the interest and the want to help us fix Alice Springs, to save Alice Springs. That's what I'm hoping to walk away from here tonight with, is a core group of people that are willing to come together provide their time and knowledge and ability to help us move forward. We need to hold our government accountable. They've proven quite a few times that they're aware of the neglect. The way the town was emptied when the Prime Minister was coming was the single biggest form of acknowledgement that the way that we are living, that they deem as being okay, is not right. I've been a teacher in public education in this beautiful part of Australia for 30 years. I think probably like all of you, um, I don't know if I can say that all of you are worried about our town. All of you have had experiences of what Garth's talking about. But I can't say, like the previous person who stood up, that I'm here in favour of suing the Northern Territory Government, which is really our government. So it'll be our tax money. Um, I can't say that we're all in favour, or I'm certainly not in favour of that. So to have this wonderful group of people who've come here without real clear understanding of the numbers who agree with that, I want it noted in some way Who does not agree with that? I love that's the amazing part about Alice Springs. Everybody is welcome to their opinion and everyone gets a chance to have their say and tell their story. Just bizarre and it's dangerous and I am way more concerned about the danger posed by those people in there, those white people that have a choice where to live here, than vulnerable Aboriginal children whose connection to this country cannot be broken. 
An Alice Spring resident speaking to reporter Carly Williams outside of the meeting last night. Emotions were high and more than a thousand locals packed the convention centre demanding change for their neglected hometown. For a long time now, juvenile crime has been a big issue for people living in Alice Springs and it's an issue shared with other communities in Northern Australia. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, visited Alice Springs recently promising change for the community. But as we heard, not everyone's on the same page about how to move forward. Sam Johnson is our reporter in Alice Springs. Now, not surprisingly, this meeting has got everyone in Alice Springs talking today. A massive turnout, Sam. How have people reflected on the meeting today? Yes, well, the meeting was certainly tense. And just like you say, it's been the talk of the town. I, you know, have been speaking to people all day about their thoughts. You know, I I think what it really goes to show is how important this issue is to people in Alice Springs and how seriously people um, feel about, um, you know, on one side, the ongoing disadvantage that many people here experience. And then on the other side, you know, the effects of crime and, and how people feel about that, you know, how people feel about, you know, their safety in their own homes and 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 it's um it's the the washout has been um on the one hand um you know i think some people feel like it was validating to come together and share their experiences with other people and you know to be supportive in that where while other people i think are really concerned um maybe about some of the the rhetoric and discourse that they were hearing last night a big opening gambit there from the organizer of the meeting garth thompson um, stating there was a plan to sue the territory government and it's to the tune of $1.5 billion. That's a, a huge sum. Around town today, do people think that's a plausible idea? I haven't heard that much widespread support personally for that um, for that idea. Um, you know, uh, as someone that we interviewed last night pointed out, um, that's the, the territory's money that belongs to, you know, everyone who would then... Um, sort of not win in the long run. Um, and that's certainly something that I've heard lots of people say. Um, but also, I think ultimately, people do want action. People are really tired of what's been going on here for a long time. And they want serious intervention. And they want serious solutions put across the table. And not just talk, but they want action. The Prime Minister visited Alice Springs recently. And the outcome of that visit is expected tomorrow, or some of the outcomes. Tell me what senior bureaucrat Darrell Anderson was tasked to do. Yeah, so um, when uh, the Prime Minister and when the Prime Minister came to Alice Springs last week, it was announced that Darrell Anderson, who's been a long-standing uh, public servant here in Central Australia, she's a literature woman. She grew up here. Um, she also held. Um, she was the first um, Indigenous person to hold a very senior role um, in um, the Northern Territory Department of Families and Housing. Um, she's been tasked essentially with. Um, She's the new role is called the um, regional controller for Central Australia. She's essentially the most senior public servant here, and she's been tasked with meeting with all of the government agencies, both territory and federal, meeting with community and uh, meeting with NGOs to try and come up with a way forward. And in particular, she's been asked to help make recommendations around the future of grog policy here in Central Australia. So does it just include policy around alcohol or is it expected to include more than that, Sam? It's expected to include more than that. So, you know, a discussion we've been having here for the last six months stems from um, the end of um, some alcohol restrictions that came about um, following the intervention. Six months ago, they sunsetted and a whole bunch of communities that were dry became wet. And um, at the time, communities could opt in to remaining a dry community. Um, and she's specifically tasked with looking at whether or not that should be reversed and it should be instead up to communities to opt out of being dry communities. So that 
that's top of her list, but we do understand that she can make a number of recommendations um, outside of that. You know, I spoke to someone um, from an Aboriginal organization today who said that they wanted to see, you know, more funding for youth programs looked at, um, different kinds of ways that remote communities could also get involved. So I think we're going to be expecting a multifaceted approach. So the details of that will become clear tomorrow. Do Indigenous and non-Indigenous people living in Alice Springs hold out much hope that this intervention of the federal government, that it will result in real change for Alice Springs? I think everyone is um, both optimistic and cynical. Uh, You know, people who've lived here for a long time have seen a lot of big promises that haven't come to fruition. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, people do hope that this moment of national and really international attention on the town and its, you know, quite deeply entrenched social problems does result in some change. Sam Johnshire and Alice Springs, thanks for chatting to Australia Wide. Thanks, Sinead. You're listening to Australia Wide. They've terrorised our poor sheep. They've terrorised our peacocks. Chased away all our chickens. Yeah, it's been a bit hectic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're reasonably commonish as far as snakes go here around the resort. On ABC Radio. It's quite the thought that up there in the night sky is a whole lot of junk. Space junk, that is. Bits and pieces of satellites and spacecraft that have fallen out of use and remain orbiting the Earth. It's a pretty wild thought. Today in Collie in Western Australia, a large radar has been switched on to help globally track space junk. Terry Van Haren is the Managing Director at Leo Labs Australia and he joins me now from Collie. Now, Terry, exactly what are these radars tracking? These radars are tracking all the resident space objects in low Earth orbit. So that includes the satellites, the space junk and the debris. Um, And in fact, there's around about 20,000 objects that we are tracking in low Earth orbit in a global sense on a daily basis. So why is it important to track it? Is space junk a problem for us? It's a huge problem. The space junk and debris that are actually in orbit and remaining in orbit for years, if not decades, um, are all hazards for any other... Uh, space flight, you know, commercial space activities and civil space activities because all those objects are travelling at nearly 8 kilometres per second and any of those objects is lethal to anything else that it may uh, collide with in space. So there's a lot of hazard, there's a lot of risk and um, you know, tracking these objects enables us in some respects to look at their collision risks, make all the calculations to help uh, people fly safely in space. Uh, I mean, maybe a daft question, I don't know, but it, can we actually see space junk ourselves? If I was out in the Murchison region of Western Australia where you get super clear skies, would I be able to see this stuff? Well, you'd probably see uh, very big items, but um, you'd probably see satellites. When we talk about debris, debris is usually the fragments of uh, old satellites or which have actually become debris fragments due to collisions or or weapons events that occurred, like weapons tests in space. They're typically quite small, uh, down to soccer ball size. We can currently track them. We're hoping to track down to, uh, with these new radars, down to smaller debris. So you're probably not going to see the small stuff. It's moving very quickly. And, uh, you know, it's only really radars and um, our sort of technologies that can actually reliably track this, uh, this type of debris. How much stuff is out there, Terry? I know that's what you're there to do and that's what you're, you have been doing around the world, but like, is there any estimate of how much could possibly be out there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. As I said, um, currently tracking around about 20,000 resident space objects in low Earth orbit. About half of that, in fact, is uh, debris and then there's a thousand rocket bodies, you know, old rocket bodies, which is space junk uh, going around the Earth. 
a whole bunch of um, old and defunct satellites. Then the active satellite population, which is about 6,500 at the moment, that's the trackable and that's the soccer ball size and above. But below that, between 10 centimetres and 2, there's a debris field of around about 200,000 objects um, that are currently untracked. And our great challenge is to build these radars in a global system and use the full capability of these radars to actually map that debris field and also work out the risk of uh, operating you know, amongst that debris. But then when we get to the very small stuff, that's actually a question no one could really answer. Um, there's thoughts of up to a million objects, one centimetre, really small fragments in orbit around the Earth. Big picture, why is it important to have that, you know, that knowledge of what's actually out there? Well, the knowledge that and, and the information we provide is really for uh, safety of spaceflight and the sustainability of the space environment. Um, you need this information to be able to navigate in space. We not only measure these objects and, and work out their orbits and propagate them, but we actually then are on analysis of every object that we're tracking versus every other object in the catalogue, and we work out the collision risk for the next seven days. And that's the sort of information that other satellite operators use to avoid space junk and to avoid collisions. So they actually fly off this information and, and navigate safely through space. Uh, I have so many questions, but I have to limit them. So I, what about Collie? Why did you choose Collie? You've got radars around the world. Why Collie? Why was that a particularly important spot? We chose uh, really the southwest region of Australia, and the aim was to be as far south and as far west as we could on the continent of Australia. So we actually uh, took the Southwest Development Agency here, and uh, Collie, the, the town and the shire, were just willing uh, hosts and landlords They'd made it very easy for us to find a site and then to uh, to build on that site in, in just over 18 months. It was a real communal project in the end and uh, yeah, just really um, helpful. Um, Shire Council plus the local businesses made it um, an easy you know, opportunity for us in, in many respects. So Collie was really coincidental with the the choice of the southwest region. Terry Van Haren, the Managing Director at Leo Labs Australia. It's fascinating work that you do and thanks for talking to Australia Wide. Thank you. Enjoyed it. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. So I'm in the early 80s. My wife's nearly 80. We've lived here for nearly 50 years and we'd like to stay here as long as we possibly can. Like many older people living in small regional towns around the country, Lance Ward and his wife Wendy love where they live. Yet they have concerns that in the years ahead, when it becomes harder to live independently, a lack of aged care in their town of Wedderburn in central Victoria could mean that they have to leave their community. Now a plan is being put forward by the local Lions Club that could offer a solution to help them stay. The club wants to create an aged care facility of its own in the town to keep older residents who can no longer live independently in Wedderburn, but the plan is facing its own challenges. Emma D'Agostino has the story. Each other country town that's in our vicinity, and they are in excess of 30 kilometres of one another, they do have an aged care facility. Wedderburn is the only one, and we've got probably a higher population than those other towns where we do have, actually. Without a local aged care facility in their town of Wedderburn, about an hour northwest of Bendigo, Wendy and Lance Ward will have no choice but to move to another town if they can no longer live independently. The closest is about 30 kilometres away. It's an unsettling prospect for Wendy Ward. 
that is a very insecure feeling for us. We would lose contact with every friend probably because they're all aged and they wouldn't be able to travel. And that goes for everybody in Wedderburn who all want to stay within their home and in their town. There are no plans from the private sector or any level of government to build a facility, so a community service organisation is taking the unusual step of trying to fill the gap. The Wedderburn Lions Club is planning to build a 30-bed residential service for the community. More than 50% of Wedderburn's population is over the age of 60. Rick Raftis is a member of the Lions Club. He says his mother-in-law was reluctant to enter residential care because it meant moving to Inglewood, about a 30-minute drive away. It got to the point where she was really not able to look after herself. After she went there, she said, I should have been here years ago. I'm not afraid at night any longer. It's a terrible thing to hear. Wedderburn residents have been calling for an aged care centre for decades. The local council has identified it as one of the community's priorities. Rick Raftis knows his community is not alone in wanting more aged care options closer to home. It's not just something that relates to Wedderburn. The issue is very, very widespread. And I think things like the investigations into aged care facilities, the Royal Commission into aged care has also raised the profile of this issue. Health and aged care shouldn't be about the haves and the have-nots. The club has also proposed an awareness campaign at a national level. Lions Australia has asked the Wedderburn branch to develop a policy for consideration at its national conference in April in the hopes of improving the state of aged care nationally. Lions are very supportive of any social issue like this and at current point in time we haven't got an actual policy on aged care across Australia. That was Robin Falloon, a district governor with Lions Australia. I think it's well worth pursuing this and everyone is particularly interested in aged care. We're all getting a year older each year. Sooner or later it'll affect all. The Wedderburn Lions Club has been working towards establishing an aged care centre for about 10 years, but the plan has encountered some roadblocks, financing being the biggest. The club wants to build a supported residential service, or SRS, that will be affordable for people who are on a pension. Rick Rafter says the business plan shows there is more work to be done. It demonstrated clearly that any SRS would not be viable on a financial basis, irrespective of whether it was established here in Wedderburn or in Upper Gumbucka West. It it doesn't really matter. It's just not going to be sustainable. In a statement to the ABC, the local state member, Rippon's Martha Haylett, says she supports the club's proposal. The Federal Aged Care Minister, Anika Wells, did not respond to the ABC's request for an interview. Patricia Sparrow is the head of COTA, the peak body for older Australians. She says it's not uncommon for people to have to leave their communities for aged care once they can no longer live at home. We want older people to be able to access the services that they need as close as possible to where they've been living, where they've got their families, where they've got their friends and where all their community connections are. We do know at a systemic level that it's getting harder to deliver services in rural and remote areas. What we really need is to develop a rural and remote plan or a framework that enables different models of provision to be in place. The Wedderburn Lions Club is determined to deliver an aged care facility for the community and is exploring opportunities with all levels of government. At this point, to bring it to fruition, we need financial support of government. If we can't get that, then not only is the plan stuffed, but I reckon the future of a lot of our aged citizens are stuffed as well. Emma D'Agostino with that story from Wedderburn in central Victoria. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. First day of school is a big moment for children and their parents. This week, households across the country are sending little ones off to big school for the first time. And in the Hunter region of New South Wales, there's a new record on GoGo, with 12 sets of twins heading through the school gates to start kindy. Newcastle reporter Larise Dixon met them before the big day. 
Now, what are your names? Leo and Eva. Eva. How old are you? Five and three quarters. Five and three quarters. Right. We even That's why we're twins. That's why. So you're born on the same day. What are you most excited about when you get to school? Well, I'm a, I, I'm better at um, writing yep. than I am at reading. Yeah. Okay. But you'll get better at that at school, yes. won't you? My name is Sarah Mason and I'm the president of the Newcastle Multiple Birth Club. You have a set of twins yourself uh, starting school this year. What are their names? Uh, James and Elizabeth, but we call them Jimmy and Libby. Oh, I love that. (laughs) How are they feeling ahead of this new school year? Well, mostly I think they're pretty excited. They've been pretty keen to go and the school that they go to is run a transition program from about May to October, November. So they've had a bit of experience of what the school's like and where the loos are in the canteen and some of the te- met some of the teachers. So I think they're pretty keen about that part. Sarah, your twins are one of nine that are here today ahead of uh, starting the new school year at public schools in the Hunter, Newcastle region. How common is it for sets of twins and even triplets to be starting schools, especially here in our region? Uh, So this is a bit of a bumper crop. Um, So last year we only had two sets of twins in the club starting school. Uh, So some of the families this year could have started last year but elected to wait until their children were emotionally ready for school. Um, So it is quite a big group. Uh, I'd normally expect a couple of sets per year, but, yeah, this this year is quite a big one. What are your names? Avery. Vera. How old are you? Both four. You're both four. Now, what are you wearing right now? School uniforms. And what colour is it? Blue and white. Blue and white. And you've got some really nice shoes on. Are they new? Yes. So you've got white socks and black leather buckle shoes. And what about in your hair? What are you wearing in your hair? Blue school bow. Wow. You're going to school for the first time? Yes. What are you excited about? Drawing. Drawing. So are you guys excited about making new friends as well? Yes! <laughs> Rachel, uh, you've got a pair of twins I've got here. A pair of twins, Jack and Hugo. <laughs> Jack and Eternal Hugo. Twin. What are the vibes like at home? Just excitement, no hesitation. Um, I think it's just like a natural progression for them. They seem ready to, to head off. We've been practicing opening lunch boxes. Um, making sure we can close them back up so we don't lose the contents of our lunchbox, um, practising doing up our shoes. You've been doing the practical things at home. And what about um, preparing for school? Have you been, you know, reading extra books and doing more writing and trying to do things like that? um, Over the summer, I've, to be honest, have made a focus of just letting them have fun, taking the pressure off going to school. But when we are doing our nightly reading of books, pointing out the syllables, breaking words down into their sound components... um, and getting them to like attempt to join them back up um when we bounce balls we might count um as we're bouncing the balls um just to practice our ordering of numbers i'm i'm assuming it'd be nice to know that they have each other when they go to school i was actually just saying um to another mum here that comparing my experience two years ago to my eldest starting school who was quite nervous and apprehensive we haven't had that this time round and it just seems like full of excitement and they just know that they've got each other I don't even think um, they can comprehend that they might make different friends yeah. and all of those types of things it's just them. it has always been them so um, yeah which will be interesting to see their little hopefully own distinct personalities come through <laughs> what are your names? Hugo and Jack 
I'm Jack. So you're Jack and you're Hugo? Yeah. And how old are you? Five. What are you guys looking forward to about going to school? What's the most exciting thing? Seeing my buddy. Seeing my buddy. So you've got a buddy already? Yeah. What are their names? Joe. Elijah. Joe and Elijah? Yeah. And so they will look after you when you go to school? Yeah. Have you been doing anything to make sure you're ready for school? I've been learning to do neat drawings. Neat drawings. So I don't go out of the line. And what about spelling and counting? You've been practising that? Yeah, and writing your name. It's my day a bit scribbly. Will you be sad to leave mum and dad when you go to school? No. Hugo and Jack finishing up Larice Dixon's report there from Newcastle. And that's Australia-wide for this Tuesday. Remember, you can podcast the show in your own time. Just go to the Listen app and you will find us there. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening and I'll speak to you tomorrow. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.